Welcome to the Jesus Collective Podcast. This is where we explore third-way leadership in a polarized world, and we ask what it means to keep Jesus at the center through it all. We hope you'll find the conversation meaningful and that it equips you in your context with fresh approaches to facing some of the most challenging leadership and ministry questions of our day. And hey, if you're new to Jesus Collective, welcome! We are a relational network of churches and ministry leaders with a vision to unite equip and amplify a movement that is all about Jesus. You can look us up on social media or head to our website at JesusCollective.com to learn more, find out what it means to get involved, all that good stuff. We'd love to hear from you. All right, let's get on with the podcast. All right, everybody. Well, my name is John Hand, and I'm the leadership formation pastor here at Jesus Collective, and I'm with my friend Angela. Angela, introduce yourself to us. I am Angela Lamb, pastor from Northern California, and enjoying a spectacular spring day. Really happy to be here. That's great. Yeah, we're we're really excited about this uh, conversation today. And just fun fact, everybody, uh, of the registrants today, we have represented four continents, nine countries, five provinces in Canada, 14 states. That is a breadth of those who are tracking with the Jesus Collective conversation. And we are humbled and honored uh, to have so many people hanging out with us and exploring this this conversation. And so it seems like we're scratching an itch with this uh, secular post-Christian themed conversations. I think a lot of us are resonating and finding ourselves in, in business and leadership contexts that are increasingly, uh, maybe increasingly secular or secularizing. Um, I know that in Canada, where I live, the fastest growing religious demographic are those who would identify themselves. Now the youngest Gen Z or Gen Z they would be now three generations removed from having any kind of vibrant Christian witness in their family in the average, say the average Canadian family. Um, And so I know that parts of Europe are even further ahead in that secularization process. And, um, and at the same time, we also recognize that not everybody in this conversation or represented here is in a post-Christian context. But for those of us that are, we're feeling this sense of, even, um, you know, even in the U.S., there's a sense of parts of the U.S. where um, Christianity is is not only just, say, tolerated, there's even a sense of uh, antipathy towards it, of, of skepticism towards Christianity, uh, rather than just neutrality. Uh, we, we have a sense, too, even before COVID, the attractional model of church has been in decline. It's not working like it used to, um, especially in Canada, especially in Europe. And, uh, and for many church leaders, there's this sense that things are not working the same as when they started out in ministry. And, and we kind of, the rules are changing midstream, and many of us don't know what to do about it. And we don't have a lot of models to look to, to help us navigate this post-Christian secular conversation. And so I'm excited to talk with my uh, friend, Brian Ross, uh, who's a professor at Fresno Pacific University uh, in Fresno, California. He's teaching in the seminary. And uh, Brian is a church planter, but just has a great cultural like a mind to analyze and interpret what the big meta themes that are happening in culture and what does that mean for the church. 
So I'm excited uh, for us to be here together and welcome Brian. Hi, Brian. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us. Uh, you recently were at an event that Jesus Collective hosted about pre uh, Jesus-centered preaching, and you were incredibly insightful. So we are really excited to get this chance to live pick your brain. <laughs> yes. That's well, great. Great to be here. So if we wouldn't mind, could you just start off by giving us your definition of secularism? Because that's a word we're going to use all the way through this uh, episode. Would you just give us how you define that? Um, in, in academic circles, there's all sorts of definitions. And probably like uh, Christianity, people wouldn't say there's, there's one kind of secularism, just like there's not one kind of Christianity, but all different types. Uh, but if I were to put it in my own words, it would be the, the presupposition that uh, historical or traditional notions of religion um, or narratives of value, of meaning, of uh, ultimate importance, of what is right and wrong are no longer working. And that um, humanity as a whole, but particularly Western culture, would do better to kind of lean on um, educated modern people to figure out what's best for society and to help us uh, thrive as individuals and kind of moving away from these historical notions of meaning. Now, I, I don't think that means for the typical person in the modern West, that they are necessarily an, uh, or officially an atheist. Um, they, they very well may believe there's some kind of higher power or uh, in kind of uh, American terms on the street, there's, there might be the man upstairs. But practically speaking, our own strategies, our own um, educational processes are more helpful to create a stable and thriving society and individuals than historical notions of meaning and ultimate value and morality. So I, so I have a follow-up question to that, Brian. Thank you. Um, so I, I, a couple years ago, I was listening to Mark Sayers and John Mark Comer's podcast, This Cultural Moment, which is great. Mm -hmm. And they're unpacking some of these themes. And, and they said... Um, they said it used to be that Christianity would go in and colonize, you know, nations. And now uh, the, the tables are turning a little bit and that secularism as an ism is, is maybe colonizing a Christian imagination. So I'd, I would just love your response to that statement. Well, who distracted yeah. her? Uh, I mean, we, we could well, talk then... about that in, in all sorts of different directions. Um, I try to encourage students at the seminary to think of Western secularity almost as like a religion. Hmm. Um, there are values of ultimate meaning. Uh, there are collective rituals uh, that one is encouraged to be a part of. In some ways, you could say there are narratives of salvation, but obviously it's not theistic. It's, it's more human centered on, on what we can do. And so certainly not everywhere, um, but there are there are pockets of contemporary Western culture where um, there is almost a moral imperative to increase 
uh, secular values within society. That, that is viewed as um, progress morally, <laughs> and that traditional notions of religion are not simply irrelevant or boring or stuck in the mud, but are even immoral um, and are not helpful for society as a whole. And, and I think this is something that a, a lot of pastors haven't quite caught on to yet, that maybe 30 years ago, uh, someone wasn't a part of a church or they weren't Christian because they said they wanted to have fun or they wanted to enjoy life. And church is filled with good people, but boring people, no fun people, where there is beginning to be a shift, again, at least in certain circles, mm -hmm. um, of I'm not a Christian because I'm a good person. Uh, I'm not interested in uh, Christianity because I care about morality mm -hmm. and uh, one is a better person to move beyond these these kind of uh, narratives or value systems. Because it's like holding us back or it's, yes. it's Christianity is immoral. You're saying, or some yes. of the aspects of it yes. would be considered immoral. You're saying by a secular ism or a secular mind yeah. mindset. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. So do you see, like, could you name two or three different ways that you see, you said, you know, Pastors have been kind of slow to catch on to this, but yeah. we're interacting whether we are acknowledging what we're interacting mm -hmm. with or not. Can you name two or three different typical responses that you see church leaders or churches as a whole uh, as they interact with secularism? Are there common patterns of how we engage with what we're experiencing? Well, I, I mean, yeah, I could name some. I don't know that I have anything uh, overly profound to to say to that, um, I think there are a certain number of congregations or pastors that because the, the faithful still show up every week, uh, because they are still preaching to the choir, they are largely not thinking about these things. They, they might notice it in the news. They might see it in the, the latest findings of a Gallup poll, but um, people are still putting money in the plate. Some people are still volunteering. So they don't spend a whole lot of time thinking about it. Um, um, I think there is a another notion, and this might in, include some friends um, that are uh, part of the Jesus co Collective as well, where maybe they experienced bad religion. They experienced a narcissistic pastor. They experienced an extremely narrow-minded fundamentalism. And in reaction to that, without realizing it, they have largely adopted secular values, but are trying to baptize them. So um, a general secular outlook is, is kind of being taken on um, and saying, hey, Jesus is like this too. I, I find that particularly with younger pastors and as a former church planter, and I, I'm a part of a church plant now on the board, um, I think this is something that's common with church planters. We, we experience negative Christianity. And so we are going to try to uh, just be in step with the larger culture, but be into Jesus as well. And think that is going to make a lot of disciples. I don't think it tends to work that way over time. Um, I think a lot of people do not find life change, at least not the type that Jesus talks about. I think it ends up kind of being a magnet for uh, burned out ex-evangelicals. Mm 
Mm-hmm. Um, but that is not the same thing as, as doing mission, though there may, there may be uh, a value in that for, for certain individuals. I, I think those are two major streams. And then, of course, there are always churches and ministries that are intentionally viewing themselves not as being counterculture or third way in Jesus' collective language, but are being um, combative with the culture and feel like they are engaged in culture war, um, if you will. And, and I don't particularly find that helpful either. So uh, can I press you then, like help us, you said using your words that say it's Christianity may be baptized in secularism. So like, what does that mean? Give us some examples for those listening and be, be as specific as you can. What, what does it look like when there's been a syncretism, so to speak, a blending of, of say Christianity and secularism unbeknownst to the Christian? Well, again, there, there can be all sorts of varieties of this. So we'll, we'll start with one um, that, that might be an easy target for Mm -hmm. some people on the screen or listeners. Uh, If you think about, there's a certain uh, right wing conservative aspect, at least in the States that can basically equate capitalism with freedom in Christ uh, individualism with, with faith uh, that can certainly combine just notions of conservative white values, particularly mid-20th century values, and equate that with being Christian. Um, that, that happens all the time. And again, I probably don't need to explain that a lot here. But in response to that, uh, there, there are a different brand that, that does almost the same thing, but with different values. Basically, whatever is promoted or is believed in the secular state universities are just completely accepted um, and trying to add some Jesus on top. Uh, Like like what? Tolerance and diversity and all sorts of things. Uh, I mean, one um, one example might be um, and and I don't want to denigrate this. I am someone who's benefited personally from uh, psychotherapy. But one might be that basically what someone needs if they're in a bad spot, they need a psychiatrist or a psychologist. Um, prayer, that's nice. Reading the Bible, seriously, going to church, come on. What you really need is just is a therapist. Uh, it, and it doesn't even matter necessarily that therapist worldview. That is what will help you to truly deal with your problems. Or the... Um, you know, at least on the street, kind of this notion that if I truly understand who I am, my backstory, my my family, my my problems from my backstory, my my enneagram number, my personality, if I can truly understand that and live into that, then all of my problems will be solved. Now, no one says that exactly, mm-hmm. um, but that can be practically how it can kind of manifest itself. This may be overly simplistic, but just to to track with you, the difference would be all of those things being a value, like that mm-hmm. that can be a helpful thing, but yeah. just it's not seen through the lens of a discipleship to Jesus. It's it is it's divorced from this concept of I would pursue psychotherapy in order to experience the freedom that Jesus offers, and this is part of my discipleship 
journey. It's like I go to church over here and over here, I am finding my real salvation in psychotherapy or my Enneagram number. Mm -hmm. That is okay. Well, and, and there's always a tension for people who are following Jesus. Mm -hmm. We are called to love the world as God did to care about it, to care for the people in the world, but not to trust it. And there's, Mm -hmm. There's a sense in the kingdom of God that ultimately our allegiance is to the risen Christ, not to certain projects of our culture, that ultimately what we need is to become a new creature who is taking on the life and values of Jesus and and not just be well-adjusted to the late modern Western world. But it's a tension because it's uncomfortable. It means we're always at odds a little bit. Um, not, and it doesn't have to be combative. I certainly don't mean hateful. That's, that's not the way of Jesus. But that means we don't, we don't quite fit. We have some different values, different goals, um, d- different priorities. And so there's always a temptation in our contemporary world for us to just kind of slide Jesus into a a dominant set of values in our culture because it's just a little smoother and easier. Mm. Mm. Okay. So uh, give us, so this slide, give us, I want to get to some practical things and I want to just share for the, those listening, we, we want to get practical. This is high level recognizing that, but just keep with, with this track, right? So Brian, Dr. Ross, I'm calling you Bri because we're friends, but you are, you are Dr. Ross. We're all friends here. (laughs) Um, So like, where do you see, so I think in, in certain parts of uh, maybe not so much in the Canadian context or the European context, I don't know how those develop this as much. I know that I'm most familiar with the, the U S context on this one, but there's a sense of like the liberals are secular. The conservatives are, more Christian among a lot of Christians. That's the perception. And so um, can you help us see like secularism? Is there, is it just for the liberals or is there, is there a conservative form of secularism where it's creeped in? And so uh, if there is, then what does the secular Jesus look like? And what does the, the conservative Jesus look like? If, if that slide in terms of secularism is kind of creeping in to those say ideological camps or whatever. Um, okay. I, I'm not sure that I fully understand that question. So feel free to jump in if I'm, if I'm not tracking. Sure. It is true that conservatives tend to value at least recent history a little bit more uh, where progressives by nature, think uh, the the past was a little bit of a problem and we're moving beyond it, yeah. where conservatives want to hold on to certain values. Yeah. So it, there is some truth to the element that, at least in the States or North America in general, that conservatives might value religion theoretically a little bit more than certain progressives. However, the problem is we are so secularized in the West that even what we tend to consider as uh, quote unquote conservative Christianity 
mm-hmm. is normally much more of a emerging of again mid 20th century uh, North American values with Christianity. Um, it is it's much more secular than its adherents would realize. Um, and, 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 and so, yeah, I, I don't know that it's any better. Uh, the, the only advantage sometimes, again, in conservative circles is there could be a little bit more respect for Christianity in general um, as, as an idea or as a possibility. But I don't know that it's any more lived out, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. Yeah. So what would be at the center of that? If, if we're trying to put Jesus at the center as, mu- as best we can in a secularized conservatism, what would be kind of at the center of that? Um, well, I mean, it's, it's the good life. So the point of following Jesus, the point of anything like a genuine Christian faith is for me to become a transformed person. Mm-hmm. That I, I've always been loved by my creator. Um, I've always been valuable, but there's a lot in me that's warped and off. Um, I desire things that are not helpful for me or others in my community. There are things within me that need to be transformed. And so a genuine following of Jesus is a posture of having an open heart, an open mind, and hoping through Jesus's way mm-hmm. that my creator will change who I am from the inside out, change my values, change how I relate to people, change how I understand God, change how I understand myself. When religion of any form goes bad, when Christianity misses its telos or its meaning or its purpose, is it becomes another means for me to get what I've always wanted. So if I read the Bible, if I go to church, if I pray, if I follow traditional family values, whatever that means, therefore I will be, I will experience happiness. I might make more money. I will have a better life. Jesus never offers that. Jesus offers a different kind of life. Jesus says, I can help you become someone who is uh, where goodness and beauty and truth and enemy love and patience are growing within you. Uh, but never, I'm, I'm going to give you a better life in this world. I mean, after all, if we say that Jesus is Lord, this means not only that Jesus is the human face of God, but that Jesus is the, the model human that we are to take our cues from. And here is this impoverished, persecuted minority who was single, who was unjustly tortured and murdered by the state in his early 30s. And we're saying you should trust and be like him. Um, Now, I I mean, it it sounds crazy in lots of ways to contemporary people, and it should. Um, But his way is how, how do I become more loving? How do I become more thankful for my life, even when it's not going the way I want? How do I uh, become more forgiving to people that have hurt me? That's what he offers. Mm -hmm. But what we tend to do is he is an alternative path to being happier and having your life work better. And that is part of how we are taking on 
secular values, if you will, in trying to add Jesus on top or trying to Christianize them. Yeah, that's helpful. That makes so much sense. Mm -hmm. So our, uh, for church leaders that are tuning in here, for ministry leaders who are looking for ways to engage with this thing that, that we're naming today, the secularism, there's got to be opportunities in here that this is not just a, a thing. There've got to be opportunities. What are you seeing? Either things that you're trying in your own context or things that you are seeing others try or messages straight out of what we see in the life of Jesus. What, where are you seeing opportunities for church leaders as humans or church leaders as strategists to engage with secularism? Can you, I'm sorry, can you uh, forgive yes. me? Yes. Well, I, I, I'm a little dense here. Um, what, it's my bad. It's just how the questions happen sometimes. I'm just going to pull that right in. There have <laughs> to be opportunities in here. There are opportunities for us. But what do you mean by opportunity? Do you mean there, what are the good things about secularism? Do you mean opportunities? Oh, well, we could to go make there. disciples out of secular people like a, Yes. Okay. That's second part. You're right. We could totally go there because part of me is like, I think that there are also some positive things happening Uh as a result of this. But no, technically, I wanted to ask the second one, which is how can we use what is happening in culture to speak about a Jesus-centered faith in a way that shows its uniqueness? I love the yeah. fact that you talked about the tension that we live in and that it's not, if you see it as an alternative, nope, I said I was just going to be concise. <laughs> Go with the second question. I, I, I think the opportunity we have is our world is broken in enough that there are always people that are looking for a completely different way of being. Mm-hmm. Um, people that are finding a, a hard time getting out of bed in the morning. They're finding a hard time uh, being hopeful that there are inner demons, if you will, that they are struggling with, mm-hmm. uh, that they are concerned about events in our larger culture. And they are open to a completely different way. And mm-hmm. this is what I think is the opportunity for ministry leaders uh, if, if if someone's making a ton of money and they are very happy in their romantic relationships and they are healthy and young, they are probably not looking for a whole new way of being. Mm-hmm. Uh, but people who've experienced pain, who've experienced real struggle, who've experienced injustice, who've went through a divorce, who have a... Um, a, uh, a chronic illness that they, they don't know that they will ever uh, get over that have come from really broken relationships. These kinds of individuals may be looking for a whole different way of being. And then when we have the kind of announcement that uh, we, we're not promising a happy life. We are not promising you will make a lot of money. We're not promising everyone will love you. We are not promising, um, rainbows and unicorns, but there is a way that you can find contentment. You can find meaning despite your problems. Mm. Um, you can find a, uh, a growing sense of hard to describe joy and other centeredness within. We have that way 
through the teachings and life of Jesus. And we can um, work collectively to, to figure out how to take on his life in our, in our lives. That opportunity has always been available, but I think right now as much as any. I mean, there are a lot of people that are questioning um, some of our assumed values that in the Western world, it's going to be nothing but uh, improvements all the time. So I really like this. And I like that, you know, you're showing how Jesus speaks into the ache right? That people are feeling. Uh, you had said before in another podcast, or the, the preaching experience, you were talking about how to, how to represent Jesus in a way that might connect with people who are secular. And you talked about, um, you know, different models. So, there's the way that people present Jesus as the hip rebel who's like challenging the Roman authorities subversively, or it's like Jesus against empire uh, or Jesus against religion or the religious spirit of his day. And he's kind of a rebellious deconstruction of that. Or you talked about Jesus as the empowerer who gives us happiness and fulfillment. So like, what do you think secular people need who are like not familiar with church subcultures and these different parallel narratives about Jesus, which Jesus, if you were talking to a room full of church leaders and thinkers, would you say secular culture needs to be introduced to and why? The Jesus who is radically different from all of us. Hmm. The, the Jesus as a Eastern spiritual uh, teacher who is the human face of God, who is the representative of God to us, but whose values and vision of life seems ridiculous to modern Western people. Um, Framing Jesus as, I know, I know this is going to sound crazy. I know what he teaches and is calling us to just seems ludicrous And I can't believe anyone with any kind of education in 2021 would believe such and such. Mm. But here's what Jesus says, and here are the implications. Maybe you're at a place that you're willing to try this out. Again, I want to be clear. I don't think there's any way that we can frame Jesus that everyone or most people will, will grab onto. And, and, not even, and you're saying you're saying not most people. You're saying correct. most people will reject this. Correct. Um, at best, most people will respect. At best, respect, but no thanks. That's that's a bridge too far for me. But the only framing of Jesus that tends to be transformative to late modern Western people is a Jesus who's com- completely other is a Jesus who questions everything that I just assume is a Jesus who almost feels um, crazily idealistic in, in, in our contemporary world. Um, I, I, I think that's the only Jesus that, that has potential to be transformative and is the one that if someone is truly open to a new way of being would, would be interesting. When we try to frame Jesus as this is what my friends would like, or this is what my generation wants to hear, 
or my neighbor will be down with this. That is when we begin to uh, secularize Jesus. And, and it might work in the short term, yeah. but it's not transformative. And it kind of, it kind of ruins our faith in the long term. Okay. But so like, I agree with Dan in the chat, Dan Weatherford's like, yeah, but isn't Jesus calling us to be all things to all men? I think about incarnation. Incarnation is like, he's come to become one of us. I would think that what would connect with secular people is a Jesus who's like us that we can, who's like us that we can relate to. And you're saying it's a Jesus who's not like us. Correct. Yes. Um, Okay. The art of ministry, taking Jesus aside for just a second, if I can, but the art yeah, of ministry. Let's set Jesus aside. No problem. Go ahead. For a second. Do around yeah. here. The, yeah. the art fine. of ministry for me as a pastor is to be similar enough to who you are that we can build a connection that you uh, don't think I'm completely crazy but also living a different kind of life and enough that, you know, I am not just like you and there's a possibility for some change. Um, I, so that, that is how I operate as a pastor in, in mission. Yep. Um, and of course there needs to be some similarities with Jesus, but the Jesus that transforms is the one who, challenges me and questions my assumptions more than I like. I think what it feels like for someone to become a follower of Jesus and to go deeper with him is I truly am a learner. I don't understand this. I don't know where it all goes. I think there's something here, but I'm trying on a new way that is counterintuitive to me. Um, a, a bad religion Jesus, if you will, or a corrupted Jesus is one who affirms what I already assume, um, who is very similar to me and is encouraging me that I've always been right and that I'm really right that the people that are different than me are the real problem. Well, that, I thank you. That is so helpful. That is just so helpful. I but I would so can I press in a little bit more as I Jesus Collective is not a place that you can come and find some kind of church model we want to spark conversations that allow church leaders and ministry leaders to then chew on that idea with the Holy Spirit for their own unique context so I don't mean to back you into a corner to say okay mm -hmm. tell us how to do church now but I kind of want to back you into a corner and say yeah. Tell us what to do with this. Like, and it's fine for us to realize that this is Brian giving us his own context. Mm -hmm. But like, tell us a couple of examples of like what to do with this. Yeah. Um, I, I specifics. I, I will try to evade that. And you can keep pushing on me a little bit <laughs> because because every context is different. It's so true. We, we understand every context is different. But, That's good. But in, let's say if you were to do it, okay? Yeah, the the operating metaphor I would want to use would be if I am pastoring today, I am like a cross-cultural missionary. Mm -hmm. I assume that what I believe, what I value, what I think is best 
is different from most people in my culture and most people aren't going to buy it. So one, I've given up the notion at all that I'm going to take over the culture if I ever yes. had that yeah. or um, yeah. that that is my mandate or that most people will agree with me or encourage me. I just assume um, I am going to be a minority figure in, in, in the world that I operate in. Um, I am going to try to, again, create connections. And, and, and the reason why I'm trying to get away from specifics is it all depends on where you are. If you're in uh, downtown Toronto or rural Kansas or, or London, England, there's going to be very different specifics. Um, whatever is considered the best of my culture, and all cultures have aspects that reflect the kingdom of God, yep. and all cultures have aspects that are contrary to the kingdom of God. Because we are not uh, self-created beings, we are creatures created by a creator, uh, even the worst of us have aspects of who we are that um, reflect the image of God, while we also have very warped, twisted parts of us. So in any culture that I'm in, whatever is the best part of it, whatever is the part of it that reflects the kingdom, I want to try to build bridges there. That becomes the, re the relational context. That becomes, if I'm, if I'm trying to meet new people, that might be a touch point of where is there overlap between the kingdom of Jesus and the best of this culture. But then what I am trying to do as a pastor where transformation comes in is offering a contrary way of life that pushes in on the twisted or warped parts of this culture that are contrary to the kingdom of Jesus. The way that you grow a big church is you emphasize the best of the culture and you never touch in on the, the, the parts that are contrary to the kingdom. Yeah, the, the, way that, the, the way that you be completely counterculture is you only rail against the negative parts and you don't build a bit the, the bridges against the best parts. But if I'm going to do uh, life-changing ministry, I'm going to build a bridge with the best parts, but bring Jesus in to challenge some of the more uh, warped parts. And so my basic posture is going to be something of um, this is what you care about. This is what you're seeking. We love you. We understand why. We are glad you're here. I know this is going to sound crazy, but here's what Jesus says that is very counterintuitive. Um, and here's how it might be helpful. I know most people are not going to buy this, but if you are someone who is interested, let's walk further. And I, in my personal opinion, I think where the life change tends to take place is not is normally not in something like a public Sunday service, though, if so, wonderful. But is more in some smaller gatherings that are almost like um, kingdom-based AA groups, if you will. Yeah, um, I love that. Or um, maybe we want to call them spiritual formation groups, where people begin to experiment together with mm -hmm. taking on spiritual practices, which are the means by which we become like Jesus. Yeah. Um, and, and we begin to just experiment that together. But I'm expecting this to be new to people. I'm expecting people to um, have not tried this before. I'm expecting this to 
feel awkward to people, I'm expecting some pushback and, and I'm okay with that. I think something like that is what mission today probably looks like. Yeah, I've heard that called like counter formation. So people are being counter formed, say, in ways that are opposite of the dominant, say, mm-hmm. cultural narratives that are idolatrous to the gospel or that are, you know, um, incongruent with the gospel. But so but you're 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 putting attention on the table that's making me uncomfortable. And I agree with Peter. Morgan in the chat where he says, like, how do we reconcile this? The Jesus that resonates with liberal secular cultures is the inclusiveness Jesus. Mm-hmm. And that's like, yes, that Jesus, he loved his enemies. He included everybody. And the, and he was about diversity and mm-hmm. full inclusion. So how do you reconcile that with, with, um, which is like a real third way approach where a centered set network, we love this stuff with the, Jesus is going to challenge you. Jesus might like, I don't know. You might not be, you might not be able to come to him because you can't, you won't be able to come this far (laughs) because you're not willing enough or, you know, those parts that are just going to rub against the deep cultural ingrained values that people have that uh, are going to rub them the wrong way. Well, I mean, if we're saying, how do we do this without there being tension? I don't know. Good luck. Um, I mean, there, I mean, there, there is a reason why Jesus called this a narrow road and said, and, and come and take your cross. Um, so I, I find regularly from students and almost all of my students are pastoring and they, they come to seminary on the side. Um, almost all of them are asking some kind of version of how do I be true to Jesus and uh, help people follow Jesus and have people still like me and have everyone agree with me on everything. Good luck. Good luck. I, I, I don't know how to do that. Um, and I don't think Jesus ever offers that. So, you know, someone has said, if any of us in the modern world genuinely open ourselves up to our creator in the person of Jesus, that, some of our political and cultural values will change regardless of what they are. Um, because, because no subculture fully represents God's fullness. Again, every culture has things that are similar to kingdom and things that are contrary. So if I am progressive and I'm opening my life to Jesus, I am going to find some things that push in on those values that it's not a one-to-one correlation. If I'm a traditional conservative person and I'm opening my life to Jesus, I am going to find that he's pushing in on some of those values. It's not a one-to-one correlation. And again, I think this is part of why I think part of us, and, and it's very human and I've done it myself plenty, part of us kind of move away from genuine mission because um, that tension is hard for us. Uh, Some of us are in ministry because we like to be liked because we are relational people and we want to be respected and personally affirmed in genuine mission. uh, I think has plenty of opportunities for that, but there's always a tension. 
Okay, okay so John. Okay, hold yeah. on. Sorry, I see All a right. question building for you, but this is a great opportunity for us to queue up the the chat with questions. So in a few minutes, we're going to translate transition into our question time. If you've already posted a question in the chat, but it was up there a ways, like repost it if it's still something you want asked. But in a few minutes, we're going to transition to that time. All right, John, carry on. Let, let me. I I want to like. Angela, do you have a question that you want to lob in here at this point? Uh, well, I, I can't help it. I keep wanting to go back to the practical application of yeah. this. So I really yeah. resonated with the fact that you said, I find, you know, if you can find life transformation happening in your Sunday morning experiences, then like kudos to you. But I think this is more likely to happen in smaller group settings. The very next thing that comes up for me is like, okay, in my context, this is a new conversation. This is not something that we have language around. This is not something that we have acknowledged. They're beautiful soil to be sown seeds in. But I, I immediately go to, as a pastor, how do I get a broader group of people thinking this way and functioning this way and seeing Jesus this way and talking about Jesus this way in such a way that it's actually permeating into these small groups? And I, so I, you may duck that one of like, that's a model question that you have to figure that out. But it's where my mind goes. This is, I, there is not language. I think John said earlier today, there's not necessarily a whole bunch of models that are out there that we can be learning right. from. Like we are inventing this as we go. And yes, I know the power of the Holy Spirit to do it, but you're <laughs> sitting right here and it's fun to pick your brain. So <laughs> that's where my mind goes. How do you get? It, well, if I were looking for models, again, I would look at cross-cultural missions. You like um, that. That that would be the model I would use more. I would think less as the classical pastor and more as cult, cross-cultural missions. And when that term missional first came out, the work of Leslie Newbegin, that's what he intended, was the, the modern West is secular. It, it is basically following a completely different worldview than, than Jesus and his kingdom. And to do ministry here is to be like a cross-cultural missionary. I think if you are uh, the lead pastor of a congregation, you're going to have much more opportunity to go this way in ministry. Um, you may be leading staff meetings. Uh, you may be preaching regularly. You could set the agenda for board meetings. And so in some ways you begin to model this, mm -hmm. you model the language, you model the conversation, you think about who you are communicating to. Mm -hmm. you, you don't allow the website to be written only for people who are already members of the church. Mm -hmm. um, and if you do that enough, that, that starts to kind of seep into the community. I think if you are an associate pastor or maybe a lay leader in the church, this is going to be this is going to be a little more difficult to do through the whole ministry. Um, so we're going to begin to take questions in the chat. So as Angela said, you can start to put those in if you want. I you know this community, Jesus Collective. You're a friend of Jesus Collective, mm -hmm. Bry. So what would you say? You know, you whenever uh, your permission to put a prophetic hat on, you always have something to say. 
And so I'd encourage you to put a prophetic hat on. And what would you, in this conversation, what would you say to us? What might be some of the blind spots that we have as a community that, that you would maybe warn us against as we talk about like our own secularization being in this mm-hmm. fishbowl or as we attempt to engage secular people? Um, the, the primary thing that would come to mind is ministry to secular people is not the same thing as complaining about ugly churches. And there are lots of people in the church, lots of pastors who think if I complain about whoever is the latest public Christian figure to say something ugly, to do something terrible, that somehow that means I am pointing people to Jesus. Um, I can understand how that happens. And there's, you know, we are broken people. There's lots of problems with lots of churches. Mm -hmm. Um, I just think that's a really easy game to play. And that doesn't tend to further mission a whole lot. Um, and, And in fact, I think that's what, that's what most people do who, who would say I am, I'm being Jesus centered. It normally means I'm not one of those really bad Christians. And the way I be Jesus centered is I let everyone know I'm not one of those really bad Christians. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you're saying watch the, watch the don't be who you're not. Yeah. But- and, and again, there's very valid reasons for that. I just think, it doesn't help people find life change. I don't know that it helps people become Jesus disciples. And there's plenty of people already doing that. We don't mm-hmm. need more people. Doing that. So they need a positive vision of Jesus rather yeah. than a, rather than a deconstructed vision of religion or religious, bad religion. I, I would keep in mind. And again, I'm not saying there's no purpose for this. There's, there are lots of people that have been hurt by abusive churches and I am in no way making, making light of that. But what it means to create a safe space for burned out, hurt ex-evangelicals is not the same thing as making Jesus disciples out of secular people. Those are two different things. Two different things. Okay. And again, that can be a valid ministry. It's just, it's not the same thing. Okay. All right. So there's a little bit of spark in the chat around the idea of Jesus being a moderate or not. Uh, is that a question that you are without any context? I and mean, we've touched on a couple of things that have hinted at that. So I can see why that question is coming up. Would you just speak to uh, Jesus's relationship to uh, this? Nope, I'm not giving my own backstory. I just think that's a great question all by itself. Would you <laughs> consider Jesus a moderate? I wouldn't use that term. Um because when I think of moderate, I think of, um, okay, where, where's the right at? Where's the left at? I want to go in the middle. Um, and I don't think of Jesus that way. I think in, in some ways, Jesus uh, and, and our terminology might have been very progressive in other ways, very conservative. Um, and yeah, I just, I, I, I wouldn't use that term and that, that way of framing um, I, I don't resonate with. And if I, just, I, if I sounded like I did, I did not intend to. 
<laughs> so, so Ben says in the chat, right, left, moderate is not different enough. So what, uh, what is the third way that Jesus is inviting moderate, like, uh, conservatives to, and what is, what's the third way that he's inviting liberals to? I, I, for, forgive me. I'm not exactly sure how to answer that. Um, what Jesus is inviting us to is to become like him, to become people of truth and goodness and beauty and love from the inside out. Um, and our contemporary cultures tend to pick certain views or practices that resonate with their culture and leave out others. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I just don't think Jesus e- easily fits any of those. I think he's doing something else. Then, hey, bring up the issue. I'm going to tell you what's the right answer. I, I don't know that he's always doing that. I think what he's doing is come to me, and if you are open, I will make you a different person. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. Yep. Transformation for sure. Okay. Um, so encourage you to put some questions in the chat. Definitely want to hear what you have to say. I've got a thousand questions, Ange. So I, I, I want to step out of the way if you have questions and things that are still perking for you in this. I'd like to circle back around. uh, And I don't know if there's more to be said on it, but I just want to name it that um, the posture that you took, both the posture of the metaphor of a cross-cultural missionary, but then also the, when you were describing how we can be talking about Jesus's principles of like, I I don't know how this is going to play out. I don't know why anyone would choose to do this except for Jesus invites us to do this and promises that we will be changed in the process. Just the humility. I, I, I even when you're talking about moderate versus not, not like there is a, there is a sense in here in which it just smashes us all down. Church leader, lay leader, seeker, it smashes us all down to one common lost person who is seeking uh, the transformation that offers freedom. And I, so I don't know that you have more to say on it. I just, I, this theme well, is beautiful. I, I, I like that word humility. So, Part of why what Jesus offers, but why he is so difficult is what he fundamentally says to me as an individual, Brian Ross, I love you. I value you, but you really have no idea what you're doing. (laughs) You, you really don't get it. You think you do and you don't think you're perfect, but you think, you're smarter than most people. You think you get it more than most people. You really don't know. Mm. I can grow a new way of being Brian within you if you are open. Mm. But it requires the posture of you saying, I know that I don't know. And I am willing to live differently and become a different kind of person. 
And that's, that's where there's the tension, but that's where, to use a biblical word, that's where salvation comes from. Hmm. And I think the reason why some of this conversation is hard for a lot of us pastors is I don't know if that's where we are. We think we know. Mm-hmm. We think we know what will fix the world. Mm-hmm. We think we know what everyone in our personal life should be doing or not doing or thinking or not thinking. We think we know how our churches should operate. And that is not the posture we have ourselves. And so it is hard. It's hard for us to guide others into this kind of place because I don't know that we are always there. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Terrence in the chat said that Brian is talking like AA. AA's talk to addicts in denial. And in some way, I wonder, I resonate with that. In some way, I wonder if the, our human brokenness and living in the world we live in with the values that it has, uh, it is, it's humiliating to live as if we don't know. And part of being a human is to try to know. And part of doing ministry is to answer those questions for those people, secular or Christian, who are saying, I, I want to know, I need answers. So, like, are you saying there's yeah. no answers? Uh, I, I don't want to say there's no answers. I would say I don't think what we're doing is offering answers. Okay. I think what we fundamentally, it's, there's more to it. What we fundamentally do as ministry leaders is we create contexts where people who are open may have uh, okay. spirit of Jesus encounters. Mm-hmm. If Which is open. not the same thing as I'm giving the answers. Yep. Yes. Okay. But there is something about our system. I think you're totally right that the average pastor thinks, okay, I'm, I'm expected to know these answers because that's why I was hired. I love this picture of your job is to create encounter experiences yeah. where people yes. could, if they're open, could Places encounter a person and yes. have an ongoing relationship that offers those answers. And whew, that's, that is not. Nice. I, I think may, that might be the, that might be a, a way to navigate an information saturated world. Yes. Like people don't need more information. They need relationships, community, and an encounter with Jesus. Once they're at the end of their rope and ready to embrace a whole new way of living. And only those who are ready for that would respond to Jesus in a discipleship way. Anyway, seems to me. Mm -hmm. I love uh, Wally's asked a question in the chat that I think is just really fantastic because uh, earlier, Brian, you were speaking to the message of Jesus is the most obvious for those who have some kind of ache that Jesus speaks to. But Wally's question is, how does Jesus come to seek and save those who don't know him, don't know they need him or don't think they care that they need him? I just mm-hmm. don't see Jesus saying, oh, well, you don't think you need me, so I'll move on to someone else. I think that's great because what you said was fantastic, but there is another audience that also needs Jesus. Yeah, and and the spirit of Jesus is closer to all of us than we are to ourselves. The spirit of Jesus is always loving us and seeking our best, but not all of us are open to that. Mm-hmm. So I, I think a principle of following Jesus is I don't try to push him on people who don't want him. Mm. So as a pastor, it's not that Jesus doesn't care about these people or isn't present to them, even if they don't recognize it. It is, 
uh, if people <laughs> seem not terribly interested in the context we are creating or what we are offering, we let them go kindly. We are not trying to, uh, to bang people over the head with this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, that's really good. Um, so I, I just want to say like in a few minutes, we're going to go into some discussion groups. And if, if you're able to stay around for 25 more minutes in groups to just process, what are you hearing? And, uh, we're Jesus collective. We collect together and we do this relationally and we learn from each other. None of us have all the answers on this. And I think we need to link arms and, and figure it out together with Jesus at the center. But before we do that, um, Brian, like, I just want to give you a chance to say any final words and uh, any parting thoughts or things that you just want to share. Well, I, I will do a little plug if I, if I can here. Um, yeah. Yeah. Of I course. am uh, the associate professor of pastoral ministries here at the Fresno Pacific biblical seminary in California. Uh, I lead a couple of master's degree programs but in particular, our Master of Arts in Ministry, Leadership, and Culture, which is fully online and is in partnership right now with Danielle Strickland and Alan Hirsch. Um, and I just wanted to give a little plug. Uh, we, we had a, a donor who cares about uh, Jesus-centered ministry leaders. And if there are three people from the Jesus Collective who... Um, sign up to enroll in our online program beginning in August. Um, they can receive a $3,500 scholarship. Whoa. If you are part of an Anabaptist church, Mennonite brethren, those sorts of things, there's another fat scholarship on top of that. Okay. If you have been a part of one of the Jesus collective online learning uh, online learning collectives. Am I saying that yep. correctly? Online learning collectives. Yep. Um, you can also receive 1.5 units of credit if you en- enroll beginning in August. Uh, obviously, I'm biased. I'm a believe a big believer in this program. Uh, I think fits theologically very much with the Jesus Collective, and all of this is designed for people that have full time jobs and or ministries and families. Uh, again, fully online with beginning in August. So just want to make so, that plug. That's generous. Uh, so what if I'm just a friend of Brian? Is there any any scholarships there uh, for it's someone lucrative. like that? Yeah. Con- yeah. Contact us and we'll do everything we can. Um, again, I'm biased, but <laughs> okay. I, I, I mean this sincerely. Um, if, if you're someone from the Jesus Collective, I would be um, very surprised if you could find a cheaper mas- accredited master's degree. Okay. Thanks, Brian. Brian, Thank you. Brian, if people are wanting to lean into this conversation or or contact you, is there a place they can follow you? Is there a way that they can get in touch with you? Um, Email me. Um, I I don't know. Yep. yep, There's, there's my email address. Uh, Years ago, I used to love to hang out on social media, but uh, the better part of me decided to quit doing that a few (laughs) years ago. So send me an email. How countercultural of you, Brian. Uh, so that's Brian Ross, B-R-I-A-N dot Ross at Fresno.edu for those of you who are listening on the podcast. And this has been great. Uh, thank you for the thought-provoking conversation, Brian, and some things to chew on and think about. I really appreciate it very much. It's been great. 
Thanks for listening. Don't forget to check out JesusCollective.com where you can hear stories, find info about upcoming events and workshops, maybe even explore getting involved through partnership as a church or an individual leader. Listening is such an important part of our journey as an organization. So please feel free to reach out to us with your ideas and your feedback. Drop us a message on social media or you can email us at connect at JesusCollective.com. Here's to keeping Jesus at the center.